Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey, everybody. Froth here. Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. Happy Sunday. Hope you're in the middle of a gaming-filled weekend. And I um, want to thank you very much for listening, for checking it out. I really do appreciate it. I'm excited to be podcasting on a Sunday because we got back into my Night Below campaign last night. I'm running the massive, gigantic, oversized 2nd edition AD&D era Night Below campaign. And we had been off last week, so I start to get jittery once I get to the, the two-week mark without without gaming. I start to get desperate, like... You know, I might even up end up on Warhorn or something, looking to play Pathfinder Society with a bunch of strangers, just like you know, desperate for a game. Like I'd do anything for a game. I feel dirty out there on Warhorn. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's actually not that bad if you need a fix, but oh man. Anyway. I was excited to get back to it. We had a great session, so I'm looking forward to talking to you all about it. Um, I know that sometimes listening to session recaps and stuff can be tough to get back, you know, to to figure out where you are. If you go back a couple episodes, I I recapped the whole campaign, but um, I'll probably wait till next session to do that. For now, if you're listening for the first time, the too long didn't listen synopsis is the party is uh, in this area called the Heronshire investigating these kidnappings. Um, I'll try to fill in a little backstory when needed, but for the uh, long-term listeners, you know, last time they were back in the Great Rock Dale, which is a kind of a canyon rift, high cliff area where they attract some demi-humans relating to the uh, kidnappings and they had also explored one cave that had um, lots of undead and evidence of some evil cult that is tied into all this somehow so the last session ended the party having fought a horde of undead um, and they started delving deeper into the cave system and had found a uh, a cell where an NPC from earlier in the campaign um, that was uh, like a guard on a barge that they were um, escorting down river. He had disappeared, and now they found that he'd been here for weeks uh, being tortured by these uh, kidnappers. So uh, we had almost a full party. Uh, only um, Cass missed. She had a headache and couldn't make it, but... We had a, a party of six, so pretty much full strength, and um, everybody was ready to go. I think everybody was ready to game, same as I was. We had a couple of players level up, so that was good. Um, both Puck the Thief and Father Marcos the Cleric had hit level four, so I know they were excited to try out the new doodads and whatnot, some new spells, some better thief abilities, and just more survivability in general. So, 
the party was trying to decide what to do with the uh, with the freed captive. Uh, he was just kind of weeping, so happy to be rescued, wanting to get back to his family. And if you recall, Lintern Palfrey, the son of Lord Palfrey, one of the two movers and shakers, powerful people in the Heronshire area, uh, Lintern had passed away the last uh, session. Trying to help fight the zombies, he ended up getting chomped into a myriad of different pieces, so they knew they were going to have to get Lintern's body back to Lord Palfrey at some point, but having explored most of the cave, they wanted to go ahead and press on and just, you know, see what else was there. Um, and so there were just a couple of passageways left. One, the first one they tried just led to the storage room. And so there were a bunch of just crates and barrels and things like that. And I said that there were like, you know, like a, a meat hook hanging from the ceiling with, you know, part of a torso, human torso on it. They had already found like a torture room where there's all these chairs set up like an audience. Like you just watch the torture happen and uh, a torturer in there was just like eating raw meat off a plate, you know, looked like likely human meat off a plate. So here they find the grizzly, you know, torso hanging and they kind of uh, look around at some of the crates and it's just, you know, basic food stuffs and, and one they find all this this jerky and so they marcos decides you know keep the jerky you know let's take the jerky could be a nice ration for us meanwhile puck the thief is using his infravision in the room and he sees little movement you know behind the the crates and everything they figure it's rats and so after they spend a, a little time in the room the rats start pouring out and they decide to just back on out and not mess with them in fact they uh, Marcos throws a hunk of the jerky in the center of the room and the, some of the rats go to that. But then uh, upon examination, they realize the jerky is, it's not beef jerky, you know, it's not a slim Jim. It's a, well, it's actually, it's Jim. It's not a slim Jim. It's Jim. So it's human jerky. One of the pieces is just like a dried ear. So, well, I'm not that hungry. So, there's only one path passage left. There's a a room at the end of the hall that's got, you know, the door's been bolted shut. So they figure, huh, there's got to be something interesting behind here. And they, uh, they, they open it up and Cyril, the assassin, goes in and there's a bunch of coffins and sarcophagi in this room. And so he starts, you know, busting them open. And the first couple, there's nothing there. One's there's... Just some like, you know, old bones. And then he opens another one and out pops a white. Yeah. A little white. White, of course, first edition have that level drain ability. So thought that would be interesting to mention real quick. Level drain. Do you use it? I know I do. Um, I think it adds to the horror and terror of undead otherwise it's you know undead might as well just a lot of the times be an orc or something you know uh, there's got to be something to give them that extra fear that extra oomph 
And I know some people have done different draining abilities and, and all that's fine too, but a white to me is a white, you know. Now that said, I kind of, I don't know. Some people might say level drain, never use it. Other people use it exactly as written. I use it kind of in my own way. It does drain your level. It drains you back to just, a, you know, one point away from getting your level back. Uh, some people might think that's too soft, but in reality, as you get up to higher levels and, you know, you could have been just a couple hundred away from the next level and you're going to lose all of that XP. So it is cruel, but I think part of it maybe too is that helps the bookkeeping. You know, they're only going to be, you might not even need to mess with the character sheet because you know, you'll probably get your, you know, get back to that level. Um, fairly quickly but you, you do lose a significant amount of xp so that's just the way i do it i don't even know if that makes logical sense at all to anybody else but i guess it makes a player hate it but not hate it as much <laughs> i don't know to me it seems fair because you, you know when you see uh some of these creatures and everything you know, you know what they're capable of and you have to plan accordingly and uh the the, the thing about it, this perfectly illustrated what I'm saying because the party quickly backed out and shut the door, but they had seen, Cyril had seen that there was some good, some goodies, some, you know, likely magic items that were in the coffin with that white and the party wanted those items. So they started trying to plan and plot on how to get in there and, and get it and came up with some interesting ideas. One was to like, oh, you know, they could hear the white scratching at the door now trying to get at them. And so they were going to maybe set up a rope in front of the door and have the white, you know, just trip as it came out so they could attack it more easily while it's prone. Um, also cast, you know, sanctuary on whoever opens the door so they have a chance to be completely avoided. And then maybe they could back down the hall and take pot shots at it from a distance to soften it up. And that's what they ended up deciding to do. So. They had cast Sanctuary on Cyril, who opens the door, and then uh, they won initiative, so they get to start taking shots at the, the white. What they didn't realize is that a white can only be hurt by silver or magical weapons. So when they started shooting their slings at it and everything, it did nothing. So, But now some of them do have magical weapons. Um, Cyril has a magic bow. Um, the ranger, Terran... Taryn was back, so Taryn has a magical spear. Um, Puck has a magical dagger, and they've got some spells. So they had some, you know, they had, they weren't completely, you know, run away about it. They they had some ways to hurt it. And anyway, they uh, they I don't know why they didn't try to turn it, but they didn't. Uh, Marcos turned. Uh, put a protection of evil spell on himself. They did stun it for a minute with color spray. I, I, I hesitated wondering if that would affect the undead, but there was nothing really explicit with it saying that. And since the white has a, an aversion to lights and everything, I, I let it, it ended up stunning the white for a round. But long story short, the white did strike twice. It knocked Marcos, who just leveled up to four, back to temporarily to three. And Ariel, the illusionist, uh, from three back to two temporarily. Now, I don't think it made either of them suffer that much. They're 
both new characters and having just hit level four, Marcos was only losing a couple hundred XP when it came down to it. And Ariel similarly was, was not, you know, hurt that bad, but they're temporarily wounded. And of course the white keeps hitting you. You're draining to nothing, but they eventually, eventually, uh, killed the white and, uh, ended up with a plus two sword, plus two long sword and, uh, Ironic scroll of protection versus undead. So it's like great, fight the undead, and then we find the scroll. Um, so they decided from there <clears throat> that was kind of the end of that little cave. So their next move was going to be to head back to Kuiper's farm. Kuiper being a, a ranger that has a farm that's kind of right in the middle of the Heronshire, in between the two major settlements, Thurmaster and Milburn. So that is where they usually leave their horses. It's not, it's only about three and a half miles or so from the Great Rockdale. So they usually would leave their horses there in safety and then kind of walk the, the, the three plus miles um, to the Great Rockdale. So they walk back in the middle of the night, but you know, don't encounter anything. They've been doing really well up until this point with the random encounters. I haven't, you know, they just, the dice have been in their favor. So. They got back to Kuiper's farm where they explained to him what had happened. And uh, he was very saddened to hear about the the death of Lantern Palfrey, knowing how that's going to affect Lord Palfrey, you know, his only son. And Kuiper agrees to take the captive bargeman that they found back to Milburn while the other while the party takes a cart from Kuiper's and the remains of Lantern to the keep to, to Lord Palfrey. So, so they travel, um, all that way, um, to the keep and, uh, they don't encounter anything on the way. And when they get there, um, Lord Palfrey, you can just see on his face, he knows something's happened when they see it, when he sees them coming with a cart like that. And so, um, this allowed for actually kind of a dramatic, um, cinematic, Seeing uh, like a funeral, Marcos, uh, the cleric, you know, volunteered to perform services at you know for it, you know, say something, and so out in the family crypt, family tomb area, and uh, they had a little service and everything, and I was kind of proud of the players because we're not we're not typically too much for the the dramatic. I think they were really strong with exploration and creativity and everything. Maybe it's just I don't throw enough at them, but I'm not saying we don't role play. They obviously do, but um, they're, they're, maybe it's too, too just the way this campaign is set up, but there's um, there's not as many opportunities for scenes like this um, as maybe in some games, but... The party really stepped up and uh, gave them all uh, gave them all an opportunity after Marcos had spoken to uh, to say something about Lintern, you know, the naive, wet behind the ears, wannabe adventurer who got in completely over his head, and several of them gave you know gave gave good speeches, um, and like I say, it was cinematic. You could picture in a, in a movie this happening, and uh, it was really good. So. Those of them that, you know, that said something, I gave them a little XP bonus right there, which is not something I normally do because it's role playing is just, that's just part of the game. That's what you should be doing. But 
sometimes when there's something real kind of special or maybe a cleric thinks to bless a room or, you know, after it's been, you know, to, to cleanse it of evil and people think of things like that, I'll just throw them a little something, you know, uh, as to continue to encourage that to happen. And so I gave them a little XP bonus there for, for that. And I really liked how that scene, you know, that, that situation ended up being framed. It was good. So, and meanwhile, while they're doing that, Cyril, the assassin, is trying to scam on girls at the funeral. <laughs> oh, oh man. So, anyway, they they decided to kind of plot and plan what their next move would be. So they they kind of unrolled the map of the Heronshire and thought about it. You know, go back to the Great Rock Dale, continue exploring the caves there, or get back into the subterranean cave system that's running under the Heronshire that all these kidnappers and demi-humans seem to use for for um, subterfuge and, and travel and everything. So they decided they would go back to the Great Rock Dale and enter through, you know, enter the subterranean cave system running under the Heronshire through a passage that they found in the cave that they were at that had been kind of blocked off with some rocks, presumably by, um, you know, like skeleton and, and zombie slaves. So that's what they decided to do, get back into the, the main kind of cave passage that uh, these kidnappers had been using for travel. So they rode back to the, uh, the Great Rock Dale, and we'll find out what happened to them after this quick message. And now, a word from our sponsors. Alright, so the party has uh, traveled back to the Great Rockdale. They did not encounter anything on the way. Another uh, great, you know, another series of great encounter rolls for them. And I think I may have said demi-humans. Uh, they thought demi-humans, you know, attract demi-humans to the Great Rockdale. When in reality, I mean humanoids. I always mix that up when I'm talking about it. <laughs> so... No, they're not feral um, halflings inhabiting these caves, but humanoids. Anyway, so the party goes back into the cave, you know, sees the, the rocked off passageway. And then also what something else has been eating at them. Uh, you may remember there's a, a room that they can see these two thrones on a dais with, you know, with jewels embedded into them. And then there are four skeletons on the walls. And the party knows that there's something to it, that knows it's a trap, that screams Gygax trap to them, but they want those jewels. So a couple times they've, they've had false starts going in there, wanting to do it, wanting to, to, to test it. Uh, they even tried to talk Lintern into going to the throne once. But now, they figure it's now or never. They really want it. Puck's like, you know, screw it. I want those jewels. So, they had come up with a few ideas. Um, you know, whenever they entered the room, you know, nothing happened, you know. And they detected magic and could see that there's magic emanating from the throne and dais area. So... They had a couple of ideas that would have really worked if they'd gone through with them. You know, they could have just walked up to these skeletons and just burned them or destroyed them, and, and that would have been it. And I was talking about it afterwards. 
it's kind of like that great scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where there's the guy with a sword that's doing all the sword play and everything, and then Indiana Jones just pulls out the gun and shoots him. And I didn't realize after talking with the players, but that was an improvised scene from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's got to be the greatest improv scene in history when you think about it. I, don't, I can't think of another one any better than that, and uh, so much better than whatever they had scripted, I'm sure. Um, so that's phenomenal. But, and that could have been what happened to them had they just followed through with it. But no, the party wanted to get super creative with it, so they went with more of a Mission Impossible-style thing with Puck climbing the walls and then lowering himself on a rope, a la Tom Cruise, uh, above the dais to, and thrones to, to chip away the stones that way. And so... He's dangling like, uh, you know, like deep sea fishing, you know, like trolling on a deep, on a deep sea fishing boat. Uh, and the second he chips at one of those stones, the undead rise. And now in the normal module, these were just skeletons, but parties already fought a lot of plain old skeletons. And honestly, they're at a level now where that's just not going to do it. I wanted to. I've also been wanting to use more stuff from Fiend Folio and Monster Manual 2 and, and just expand that a little. So I, I just traditionally use the tables from the DMG, which of course just apply to the first Monster Manual. So I'd, I'd leafed around over the last few weeks at different creatures and I decided to use the Hucuva in here. So it was four of those. And now I'm not super familiar with the Hucuva and in, um, in later editions and they do have a polymorph ability that I wasn't so concerned with. I mainly just wanted to use a higher hit die, um, undead, and something that had a, a, a unique and interesting ability. And that is, uh, you know, that cause a, a, a disease, a cardiovascular renal disease when they hit you. So, um, which basically it drains a point of strength and constitution away each week until death. And, um, so they immediately, they gain initiative and immediately swarm onto, um, to poor Puck, who's just dangling there in midair. <laughs> and, I know, and I know the player that plays Puck listens to these. So you can just picture this dwarf just dangling on this rope with all these undead going after him. And, uh, well, the first one, of course, crits. So, so he gets whacked and, um, course contracts the disease um but uh the party then just turns manages to, to get a high roll enough to turn the hikuva they turn like uh, i think they turn like whites um but anyway that turn them away and manage to get puck out of there and they they do get the gems so that's the good news um but uh, meanwhile, Puck loses a point of strength and con and knows that it's going to, you know, I think it's like a rolled and got a fortunate role as fortunate as can be in a situation like this. You know, it'll take like 12 weeks or so for certain death to happen. And But uh, the uh, the party's not high enough right now to be able to cure disease. They got to figure that out. But I think it'll be. I think they'll be okay because uh, um, Zanroll, the other cleric, is really close to level 5, and I think at level 5 he can cure disease, so it's not going to be the, a massive setback. 
not that I wanted it to be a huge, massive setback. You know, I'm, I'm not delighting in the torture of the of my players, no matter what they think. But you want to you want to throw some challenges at them, you know. And, and and a disease a disease can do that. You know, a little renal failure never hurt anybody, right? So they decide to press on, and so they got to get all these rocks cleared away from this passageway, and. That actually takes like 16 hours of work. So they work for a couple of days, um, everyone moving these rocks away, and finally clear the passage. So from here, they head back into these subterranean tunnels that go all under the campaign area of the Heronshire. And they follow them back without encountering anything. Again, no random encounters rolled until they get to this area where they have not, um, well, I should first say they passed through where some of the players had died before to the, you know, giant spider had killed them. And that whole area has just been wiped clean. There's no evidence of the spider. There's no nothing. Um, and they, uh, continue down the passageway until they find in an area they had not yet explored these huge, like, 15-foot-tall doors you know, banded with bronze with this massive keyhole um, there in, in the, into the uh, cavern wall. And they can tell just by looking at it that this is where you know they had found these two pieces of a key, this large key with an ivory handle that clicks together, and they can see that this is the door to where that key will fit. So it's a huge, like I say, huge, um, large, well-reinforced doors here. And so the keyhole's big as a fist, so they, they kind of look in there, and there's it's darkness, but they can smell just a, a barnyard stench coming out of it. And one of them said, oh, it makes me miss Moshi. Moshi, Moshi was the half-orc fighter that had died. <laughs> it's funny. You know, that, that barnyard smell just reminds you of Moshi. But um, they could also hear voices and just kind of guttural grunts and things like that. But um, most of the party, being human, couldn't understand what language it was. But Puck was able to tell that it was the sound of orcs. Lots of them. So the party knows that there are tons of orcs in there. Now, they have encountered orcs before um, several times that have this emblem of a bloody skull on their shields. And they knew that the orcs were somehow aligned with the human kidnappers and bandits. So these were some of those humanoids that they presumed they might find at the Great Rock Dale. They're involved in these kidnappings. And um, they knew that uh, there's a lot of, a lot of them in there, so they... And it was getting late. They had already traveled like eight hours underground, so they knew that they they had to rest. Um, so they decided to pause there and think about what they wanted to do. So they went to to camp about a mile away. I had to camp underground, and so finally, after after a long time, maybe several sessions and, and lots of travel. There's lots of travel usually in my games, and uh, they they hadn't encountered anything. But in the middle of the night, not unlike when the uh, the bugbears attacked him the one time before everybody was sleeping, of course, in the middle of the night, I roll an encounter. So the only ones awake, I think, is 
I think it's Ariel and Puck are the only ones awake. I have to double check it. Maybe it's Taryn and Taryn and Ariel. There's only two of them awake. I guess is the the point. But I I roll random encounter. Pop out the monster manual too, and kind of improvise a roll on the tables back there. The monster manual too. All right, so the DMG's got great random monster tables. The Fiend Folio has excellent tables because it incorporates the monster manual and the Fiend Folio, and they're really, really, really well done. And then Monster Manual Two completely blows it. You know, it would have had the opportunity to be the best of all with the random tables incorporated all three monster books, but they just kind of half-ass it. Don't even number it in a lot of the cases. And it's just so you have to improvise a little bit with the tables and which I did. And, and so what do they encounter? They can even hear me when I roll and I go, Ooh, and the, <laughs> this is the last thing, last thing your players want to hear is a DM go, Ooh, <laughs> It's <laughs> so funny. Uh, but they, it's a couple of ghasts. Oh, yeah. Ghasts. All the fun of a ghoul with a with an additional stench. Um, foul stench that causes nausea and retching uh, emanating off them. So they can smell them coming and hear the scratching. And it's a couple of ghasts coming, rambling, rumbling, bumbling, fumbling down the hall. I'm picturing them like aliens in one of the alien movies, just kind of scratching the walls and just coming running. So they're like, oh no. And so the gas are coming at them. And that is where it was a perfect time for a cliffhanger for the ending of the session. Love to try to end it on a cliffhanger. And this was like, you know, 10 minutes before we were hitting the three hour mark. So it was perfect. So who knows what will happen? Maybe. Maybe it's good that some of them aren't too familiar with their new characters. <laughs> I say that knowing that a couple of them might be listening to us. No, they know. It's a roll of the dice. I didn't pick the ghasts. It's not my fault, right? <laughs> I'm just the GM. Uh, but we'll see what happens next week. Really looking forward to it. Love leaving it on a cliffhanger like that because everybody knows we're going to get right back into it with a couple of ghasts running at them. Half of them are asleep. They're underground. There's nowhere to run. What's going to happen? I'll have to tune in next week. So it was a fun session. You know, I, I didn't, uh, last session wasn't at my best. And part of that was, if you've listened, it was because I kind of had this headache that was slowly growing, but, uh, no such headache last night. So I felt good. And then this was, there was a lot of action Everybody was engaged. The time just kind of flew by. It was really fun. I had a great time. I think they had a good time too. So there was action packed, you know, creativity, travel, little drama, um, new discoveries, some new magic items and everything. So the party, uh, it should be a, a decent XP haul actually, um, because Lord Palfrey gave them a little monetary reward, um, for, for bringing Lantern back, you know, didn't have to, but he was thankful. And then they had found some, some decent magic items and, and everything. So it's not going to be a record breaker, but still there should be some, some good experience for it. And, uh, it was good, really good to have Taryn, the Ranger back. You know, he, he's active military. He had missed the last several weeks. So love having him back at the table. 
I know he's glad to be home, so thankful for that. Thankful to have him back safe. So, looking forward to next week. There shouldn't be anything keeping us from playing, so I won't have to go out, you know, late night on Warhorn looking for Pathfinder Society. I can, <laughs> I can put that off for, put that off for a little while longer. Anyway, I want to let y'all know I really appreciate y'all checking out my shows and listening. Uh, thank you very much. Next thing you're going to hear from me is going to be more Top Three Tuesday. Um, I did the first one of these last week, kind of like RPG-related top three lists, and it was a lot of fun, and I had a good response to it. So um, I'm encouraged by that. I had some call-ins, and I had a couple of the other legendary, world-famous Anchorites RPG podcasters here on Anchor uh, call in and suggest top three subjects. So that should be fun if you haven't checked that out. Uh, there's only one episode up so far, but I talked about uh, the best of uh, Zeb Cook, as well as uh, my top three monsters. So if you want to listen to that, you just go back a couple of episodes. So look forward to that on Tuesday. Other stuff I'm doing, I'm trying to wrap up this one page. The one page dungeon contest deadline is May 1st, and I've been working with my daughter. She came up with a great idea and drew this awesome map. Now I've just got to kind of transcribe what she told me into, uh, you know, into the um, layout and PDF and everything to put that up. So I'll probably work on that tonight. So that's all submitted and done. So anyway, I want to thank uh, folks backing me on Patreon. Y'all are rock stars. I really appreciate you. Um, if anybody else is interested, if you like my podcast, blog, or uh, my psionic platypus zine, it's just a dollar a month. It's just kind of a way to hopefully help me get a little bit of art and then just kind of just back me up with what I'm doing. So that's patreon.com forward slash thought eater. If you're interested, just a buck a month. Like I said, you can message me frothsoft at Gmail froth S O F at gmail.com or over on the thought eater blog. There's a contact form and you can always get over to the thought eater blog frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com com 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 pom 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 platypus a psychic grenade zeroing in on your mental trade gonna help you escape from the grind thought eater gonna blow your mind Boom, 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 bo